Hello everybody, welcome to the mailbag. Good to have you here. My name is Marcus. I'm in the company of greatness because you listeners are here and Andy Brassel is here. Andy, how are you? I'm very well and you know what? It's nice to have a ramble show where I don't have to say my own name because I find it really difficult. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, I'll... I I will um, feed that back at the uh, at the next uh, Ramble Annual Summit. Although, unfortunately, Andy, the annual summit happened last week, so you're going to have to wait another year. Um, <laughs> I think it's very, very bad news for my future prospects if you'll feed that back at the Ramble Summit because it means that I won't be invited, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, it's, the, the Ramble Summit is just myself. Um, right. So I will... Yeah. Nobody's aware of uh, this meeting, hence none of the changes proposed actually go through, of course. Um, but okay, Andy, I, I don't want you to say your own name. That's why. But that, is that why you usually have a hype man with you to say your name for you? Well, I have to tell you, having recorded with him very recently, mm-hmm. it doesn't get any better as, of, of a hype man than Pete, than Pete Donaldson. To, to yeah. call him a hype man is to mm. is to limit his importance. But uh, you know, if you want someone there to make the people listen, he's he's mm. the one. Yeah, that's that's because Pete probably quite likes you and, and respects your talent, which is two things that he he won't uh, hold very uh, dear to his heart about myself or the others, Luke and Jim, <laughs> namely. <laughs> but anyway, Andy, let us begin uh, this mailbag from uh, a, a few people asking uh, for a bit of a Portuguese football chat, Andy, and Bruno Large is at the centre. By and large, Bruno is at the centre of it, Andy. Um, Benfica, of course, lost to Santa Clara this week. They lost 4-3 at home. It's not okay. going very well. Sorry? What a game. What a game. I thought you said what game, and I was like, Andy, if you don't know about that, then we might have to <laughs> rethink this whole thing. <laughs> if I've heard about that, then you. Um, yeah, incredible match, 4-3, of course. And uh, they're in danger of throwing the title away because, we, as we know, a slip-up in Portugal for the for the top two is um, that, that slip. It's a sl- Sol Campbell sort of slide. You know, you go right off the pitch, and, and you know, because it's very seldom to the top two. Uh, drop points, of course. So it is quite a big talking point in, in Portugal. But Bruno Large is he's having a, a tricky time, Andy, it's fair to say. What are your thoughts on the whole thing? Well, um, I think losing at home to Santa Clara is the, the immediate issue mm-hmm. uh, because um, you have to go back a very, very long time uh, to, to see um, Benfica conceding four goals at home. Yeah. And also because they've not won, I think they've not won at home for five, which makes it their worst ever home run, believe yeah. it or not. Um, it shows what a titanic club it is. The other mm. part of that is Santa Clara are a kind of little brother club to um, Benfica um, because uh, they, they're from the Azorish, um, the, the islands. And although they're in, actually playing their games on the mainland at the moment due to COVID quarantine rules in the Azores. So they're playing their uh, games um, at Oeras, which is uh, it's kind of the, the Portuguese equivalent of, of St. George's Park. So they're, they're basically playing at the national team's training centre. And um, yet they've, they've managed to stack up some points, including this, this brilliant win at Benfica. And when I talk about them being a little brother club, um, my kids were watching the end of that with me. And they said, Benfica really losing to a club that's got the same badge as them. 
And yes, <laughs> they do have the same badge. They have exactly the same badge as well because uh, Santa Clara was sort of molded in the in in the image of of, of Benfica. But Bruno Lage uh, had an extraordinary outburst at the end of this, um, where. Uh, Benfica have been in a very poor run of late. As you were saying, um, back in February, they were seven points clear at the top. Now they're three points behind and to all intents and purposes, it's four because they've lost the head-to-head to Porto this season. Mm-hmm. They lost both both classicals to Porto. Um, so um, if they, they finish level on points, that's that's not good to them. And um, uh, Bruno Lage was asked in one of these remote um, post-match press conferences, um, did he did he feel under pressure? Was he worried about his job? And he went off on this kind of tinfoil hat rant, asking if um, uh, you know, were they were they asking him uh, about his job because some because someone had paid their um, lunches, dinners, and um, travel fares to. Um, Say that say that there was going to be a new Benfica coach, possibly yeah. by a successor, which sounds it sounds weird anyway, but it sounds yeah. just crazy when you you say it out out loud. Um, the the National Association of Portuguese Sports Journalists has asked for an apology. Um, you've had lots of ex players, um, former directors of the club queuing up to to, to say he's an idiot, which is really <laughs> harsh on him, really, and it's really not ideal for Luis Felipe Vieira. The, the president of the club because um, they gave Laj a new contract, his second inside a year in December, which contracts him to the club until 2024. Mm-hmm. He, um, Luis Felipe Vieira had al- also said um, that whether they're champions or not, um, he would definitely coach the team next season. He said that um, earlier this month. So things have turned around pretty quickly, um, but yeah, Benfica have just been in this in this dire dire run. Uh, they haven't looked confident. Um, th- there's there's quite a few players playing below their level, and the fact that Lage was initially a stopgap when they got rid of uh, Rui Vitoria, but quickly became the man after basically not just guiding them to the title, but getting them playing brilliant football as mm-hmm. well. Um, it's, it's a real, it's a real fall from grace. You know, people were completely intoxicated by the way that he got Benfica to play football. They were playing their best football since George Jesus. And in recent months, it's, it's all gone really wrong. Of course, they've lost uh, Joao Felix, which is, is, has been difficult to, to, to deal with, but they've lost big players before. Um, but as I said, like key players um, lose it, losing their form has, has been an issue. Uh, they seem to have got a really good deal in bringing in uh, Julian Weigel from Dortmund and he actually scored the winner in the only game they won recently at, mm-hmm. at Rio Ave. Um, but they've kind of struggled to find a balance with with, with him in midfield as well. They're, they're unused to having a, a dedicated defensive midfielder um, and he's been encouraged to come out with the ball more, which is kind of a work in progress um but yeah it's a it's a huge huge problem for them and he, he'd gone on this like extraordinary like meteoric is an overused word but it really was a meteoric rise because bear in mind bruno Lage was assistant to carlos carvial at sheffield wednesday and swansea and all of a sudden 
He's got a bigger job in Portugal than Carvalho's ever, ever had. In fact, Carvalho is, is, is now the coach of uh, Rio Ave, who they beat the other week with that Julian Weigel winner. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> the thing is, if they get rid of him, um, you just wonder where his next job would be because he's not going to get picked up by one of the other big clubs, quite apart from the fact that um, Porto and Sporting are very, very happy with their coaches. Uh, you could just see him quite easily, like sort of, disappearing into obscurity again despite the fact he's got the biggest club in Portugal playing some of the best football they've, they've played in, in the last decade so it's an extraordinary story Could you see him maybe if he if he does get sacked taking a break going to Ibiza and having it large Andy? <laughs> <laughs> no I think he'll go to Mallorca relax and just have a few larges by the pool Yes <laughs> And so on and so forth, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, it's limitless, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it really. You mentioned Carlos Carvial. Obviously, Luke interviewed him on the Ramble Meets before. An interesting yes. character. How, how is he getting on? Can we have a little update? Yeah, he's doing all right. Rio um, have an interesting club as well. Really, um, Nuno, uh, who's now doing such a great job at Wolves, of course, before he went to Valencia. That's where. Um, he started out as a as a top level coach, and he, he got them into Europe as as well. So, Rioav, despite uh, ostensibly looking one of the non big clubs in Portugal, they are one, they are one of the non big clubs in in, in Portugal. Um, they've done quite well to be getting into Europe and consistently challenging for for Europe, and that's kind of continued under under Carvalho. You know, they've they've, they've got good players and. Um, He's he's done a pretty decent job. He's still uh, effusive. He's still a little bit spiky when things don't go his way, such as as in um, the Benfica match that we talked about before. And when I tell you that Rio have finished that game with with nine players, you'll imagine he had a thing or two to to, to say about that afterwards. But I think the fact that he is not in in control of of, of one of the top clubs is an example of. A, the fact that Carvajal's reputation is not quite the same at home as it as it was away because he's, he's, he's not had a lot of massive club jobs and also everyone remembers the massive falling out he had with Ricardo Quaresma at Bajiktas where Quaresma screamed at him in front of the rest of the team, look, mm-hmm. the only reason you're here is because I'm here and they wanted a Portuguese coach. <laughs> Which kind of un- 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 undercut him a, a little bit. Of course, yeah. of course, Quaresma has grown out of that, that sort of thing now. Uh-huh. Um, but the, the, the thing is, as well, because we think of Carvajal as having such a, a wonderful way with words, which he does. Portuguese people love to chat; they love to discuss. So, really, that's not something that sticks out quite as much in Portugal. Also, the other thing is Portugal has got such an incredible range of coaches you know mm. you, you can say the league is second rate but you can't say the coaches are oh they're punching above rate. the weight there yeah ab- absolutely and the, the level of education is incredible and that's why you see portuguese coaches succeeding all over the world mm. um andy just again i've suddenly found myself in uh in a rio av uh i suppose what, what would you want to call it, sort of wonderland at the moment in my head. And I just remember <laughs> that uh, Fabio Coentrao went there recently, but he's no longer playing for Rio Ave. And I, I just, what, what happened with uh, 
uh, Fabio Coentrao because he was a player who was decent. He played for Real Madrid, of course, and he was important yeah. to the Portuguese national side. What, he seems to be unattached to to a club at the moment. What's going on? Well, it's it's a real shame because I mean he was brilliant at Benfica. I know a lot mm. of people will say that um, he was no nowhere um, near Real Madrid's level, um, but. I don't think he ever had a real chance there for, for two reasons, really. Um, one, because Marcelo was ahead of him, um, who is one of the great left-backs of the last 10, 20 years. And um, secondly, he got played out of position all the time. His first Classico, he played at right-back. Yeah. Uh, when he's a left-footer, uh, he was played in midfield. And Cointreau is a very particular sort of character. Uh, you know, he's characterised when he was um, a kid as... As, well, firstly, he was a winger, and, and secondly, he was characterised as a troublemaker. And um, he got sent home for a loan spell at Saragossa when that didn't go particularly well, and um, the management weren't that happy with him. Um, so at Benfica, when Jorge Jesus, um, one of those great Portuguese coaches, got his mitts on him, and he turned him into a, a left-back. And it's funny, people people laugh, but... The, the, the shades of what's happening with Alfonso Davies, there's, there's shades of Cointreau mm-hmm. in that, definitely. Because you're looking at a, a player who has all the natural qualities of a winger and you put him as left back. And because he's got that extra space to run into and build up momentum, it just mm-hmm. gives him a whole nother dimension. Um, and Cointreau is, is someone who can actually defend as well. He learned to defend really, really quickly um, to to a good level. Um, I mean, there were also sort of, sorts of whispers about his nocturnal activities and whatnot when he was when he was out around Madrid. And um, yeah, I, I think a lot of people have, have found him a, a difficult character. Rio Ave, I just don't think he could get fit enough after being out, out mm. of the game. I mean, he really wanted to... He, he could have gone to other clubs, but he went to Rio Ave because he wanted to go home to be near his family in, in, in northern Portugal and and that was it. But I mean I remember us going to uh see Benfica play Leon in the in the in the Champions League yeah. together years ago, Marcus. And Corin Tau was unbelievable in that game. Well he was super in fact oddly Andy that that is I think the only time I've ever kind of said a prediction or or suggested something may happen in the future regarding football that had any sort of weight or accuracy at all. After that game, I remember coming back and saying on the round, well, it was good to see. It was a great game, 4-3. Um, and the two Benfica players that impressed me and could get big moves were Fabio Cointreau and David Luiz. And of course, they both did. Nice. Yeah. Let's see them teaming up in that Arsenal back four next season. Well, it was a long time ago for David and myself, but there we are. What a, Look, what if, a nice if, little memory. If David Luiz can get a game there, I don't see why uh, Fabio couldn't. We've got a question here from Gaz, who says, not very football related. Not fair enough, Gaz, why not? Um, What's the best post-match meal? I'm going to go for a curry. I don't know whether Gaz was asking the question and then and then told us what his intentions were at that particular moment um, with with lockdown easing. Perhaps it is possible to go for a curry now in some parts of the world. 
uh, or indeed he was saying that the curry, the, a choice of a curry was his post-match meal um, preference. Andy, a, a post-match meal of, of your choice, what would you go for? We're talking about um, for supporters rather than athletes, aren't we? Yeah, I interpret it as you will. I mean, because, you know, Deco always loved a, a, a takeaway pizza after after a game at Barcelona. Yeah, mm. yeah. You always uh, used to see him, like, coming out of the dressing room at Barcelona, clutching a little uh, telepizza box. <laughs> of course, very, very popular with the Arsenal team, if we're going back uh, 10, 15 years as well. Yeah. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe they don't eat pizza after games anymore. Maybe pizza yeah. was the carrot that made them overachieve. That's true. Was that was it? Was pizza I'm not sure not you can a, call pizza a carrot, can you? No, I, I, well, I let that one slide. But was pizza <laughs> not? A, people think that's very unhealthy. But was it not to kind of restore energy levels quite quickly or something like that? Yeah, I, I think I that's think, it, isn't it? Yeah, I think there was a, there was a good reason. I mean, for for me, I um, I'm what? Oh, all right, okay. I'm going to really indulge myself here, Andy, if I may. Um, Please. After a Fulham match, if anyone's been to Craven Cottage beautiful part of the world and seldom can you say that about an area where there is a football stadium but if you if you come out the ground you have i think it's bishop's park and you kind of walk through there it's all very nice and you go over putney bridge um and, and you're into putney in southwest london it's lovely there is a brazilian steakhouse restaurant called preto oh, yeah. or preto i think it would be or, or Brazilian Portuguese, it would be something like that. I like their uh, <laughs> sort of singy twang. You've got to have the, uh, the the vowel sound at the end. And uh, it, it, it is, it's a Brazilian rodigio, uh, you know, where they where they come to you at the table and, and slice off the meat and all that kind of stuff in front of your very eyes. Not the and cheapest you've got your little you. traffic light, haven't you? Yeah, oh, big time. Um, yeah. If you go to a Fulham game, do that, because it is, it is quite magnificent. Um, and that is, I mean, that would be the perfect Saturday for me. Play football in the morning, go and watch Fulham in the, in, in the, in the afternoon, and have a and have a preto for dinner on the way back. Is it, honestly, that that that. So I understand, Gaz. Maybe not. Um, well, I've I've I've, be, I've given you a lot of detail there, Gaz. Actually, so I think you should be very happy with that. If I may say so myself. <laughs> Marcus, let's do it when we're allowed out again and fans are allowed into games again. I'm I'm all on board for a Hodizio. Absolutely yeah. on board for that. I know um, you but would be. I, I would say if we're talking... Like, Hang on, weren't you a vegetarian post- for a bit? Me? Yeah. No, no, no. I, I have kind of vegan tendencies because I don't have, um, I don't have dairy. Ah, uh, that'll be it then. Yeah. All right. Um, but I would say, if we're talking about nostalgic post-matches, um, when I lived in Lyon and they played at the old Stade Jolon before they oh, moved you've to got the, options in the Lyon. old place. Oh, you yeah. really do. I mean, you know, it's been the gastronomic capital of Europe for like 300 mm. years. But um, rather than traditional, that there used to be this place called uh, Ninkasi, uh, mm-hmm. Dead opposite the the Stade Gerland, and it was a concert hall, stroke bar, stroke nightclub, stroke microbrewery, stroke um, homemade burger maker, and um, <laughs> whatever you want, that place burgers, has got it. The burgers in there were incredible. Yeah, and I once saw the charlatans there as well. So you know, oh every, Andy, come everything's on. possible. Everything's possible. <laughs> come on, Andy Brassel. 
But that, um, ex- exceptional right. burgers. Can you think of anything they, more marvellous than that, ladies and gentlemen? It's, it's pretty oh, good, God. isn't it? Uh, they still they still have um, branches of Newcastle in Lyon, but obviously there's not one opposite the stadium anymore, which is okay. a real did shame. Did the Charlottes uh, play there? Th- did the Charlottes play in the stadium? No, in in these other branches. <laughs> That's what I want to know. <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're rather more bijou. Uh, I, I don't think that would be possible. <laughs> okay. You might get a Tim Burgess solo gig, but that'd be about it, I think. Uh, the evening's called Burgess and a Burger. <laughs> <laughs> That's my type of B&B, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Andy, I would like to ask you a question um, about a, well, I hope not a former footballer. Certainly, um, as far as I'm aware, is, is, is a current one, although that, seems to be fading um, as, as the days and weeks go by. So we had a little bit of chat about Fabio Coentrell uh, moments earlier and saying how you know he's, he's unattached to a club and so on. And then you mentioned Benfica versus Leon, the game we both saw him in the flesh together. Well, there was a, there was a handsome lad who also played that night who's also in a similar situation um, with, 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 uh, in some regards to Fabio Coentrell. It's Johan Gorkouf. Andy, I want to know what's happening with Mr. Gorkov. He's only 33, he'll be 34 next month. We know he's got magic in those uh, those feet of his. I want to see him playing, Andy, but he's not officially retired. Can you tell me what's going on? Yeah, he's not officially retired, but, um, mm. well, he's playing a lot of tennis at the moment. I can tell you ah, that. It's the old Paolo Maldini routine. Except uh, the thing is, with uh, we'll come to Maldini in a minute, but um, the, the thing with Gorkov is oh, yeah. he was a real tennis prodigy when he was a, a teenager and he had to decide between pro tennis or, or pro football and he ended up going football in the end. But he's, uh, he's going back to his roots anyway. Um, but Maldini's an interesting figure um, for you to mention because this was one of the first things that cast a shadow over yeah. Johan Gorkov's career because... Oh, by the um, way, I didn't mean to mention Maldini, but as soon as I did, I thought, hang on, there's a link here, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, there is, very much so. And yeah. um, Maldini um, tore him out after he left Milan and said that he was uh, arrogant, stuck up, didn't bother to learn the language, um, had no idea of the hierarchy, didn't work hard enough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I would be interested to know what Maldini's thoughts on him are nowadays because uh, Gorkov's, um one of his main issues, apart from injury, obviously, which is not something that he could do a great deal about, although it was often insinuated after his big uh, transfer to Lyon that he was someone who couldn't just get on with it if he had a, a little knock. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that was Leon's disappointment that someone they paid a record fee for wasn't quite hitting his peaks. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I think they felt that they were understanding enough of him and there, come, there came a point where he had to go through the pain barrier and he wasn't, he, he wasn't, able to do that or willing to yeah. to do that um, well andy which... in, in five seasons with leon uh in all competitions bearing in mind leon were you know always in european competition yeah then, uh, and and sometimes you know going sort of reasonably deep in the competitions as well twice um did he manage 30 games or more in five seasons with them yeah yeah, uh, you know, and now I I understand people get injuries totally you know don't want to be one of these but you know you, you compare that to say that that amazing spell he had with Bordeaux when of course they cleaned up didn't they and won the league and the yeah. cup and all in in the in 08 09 09 10 season 
40 plus in both of those seasons. Yeah, that, that is. that's absolutely right. And um, it's clear that he was someone who, I, I think he's, he, people connect his character to his injury history, which unless we're doctors or unless we intimately know his yeah. medical history, I, d- I don't think he's particularly fair. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it might have just been that Leon or, or their medical staff mismanaged him. I mean, we, we really don't know. But mm. um, you're right, that season and a half when uh, two seasons when he was like really on it at Bordeaux, I mean, he was incredible. He's, yeah. he's one of the, the the best footballers I've ever seen in France um, in Ligue 1. He, he was he was tremendous, and um, it was his team that broke Lyon's stranglehold on the title. They'd won it mm. like seven times in a row, and you know I think there was a feeling at the time when they went and bought him right there properly. Bayern Muniching the opposition are going to find one of their rivals nick their best player and create a fabulous new dynasty which obviously mm-hmm. didn't work for those reasons we mentioned and a, a lot more besides because um, it was a time in which they spent a fortune under Claude Puel giving him a lot of responsibility over transfers as well as being the head coach his actual title was manager it wasn't head coach um, and um yeah, it, it it didn't work at all. And it wasn't just down to Gorkov. But mm-hmm. I, I think the thing about him, people obviously always wanted a su- successor to Zidane as well. And because yeah. he was similar in terms of stature, in terms of balance, you know, I think those two, they're, they're, they're both, they're almost like, like ballet dancers. Yeah. Very different, um, incredible grace, very different characters, of, of course. And... Um, you know, when we talk about Gorkov and his, um, his his sensitivity, and maybe the fact that he wasn't particularly cut out for the world of professional football, it, it, was, it was something that he clearly found a bit difficult. He was never really accepted into the French national team. I think a lot of his teammates found him standoffish and quite difficult to to get close to. I think he was a little shy. And um, he's someone who, unlike a lot of footballers, came from a very middle-class family because, um, hence the tennis lessons, obviously, because his, his <laughs> father, Christian, his father yeah. Christian, was a, um, a successful coach um, and um, was, was doing very well even before Jan became a, a footballer. So, um, and, you know, that, that, that sort of breeding showed i think because um he famously while all his uh teammates would sit there like reading the paper or like mucking about he would always sit there reading a book and when oh. he was at bordeaux um he used to go out to this little bar in in the town center like every night before dinner with a book order a glass of rosé and then just go home again and that was his little ritual it, he mm-hmm. seemed very settled in Bordeaux and, you know, maybe it's one of these these ones a bit like, I don't know, Fernando Torres leaving Liverpool that he he found the the, the, the club that fitted him and he was betrayed a bit by his own ambition, really. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I, as you might be able to gather, yeah, a lot of other players just didn't click with him and, and didn't get him. And that must make things difficult especially if you're yeah. injured a lot as well and you're out of the loop a little bit, it, it must make life incredibly mm-hmm. lonely. Now, like I said, maybe he's just been incredibly 
unlucky with, with with injuries and you know that seems to have been a constant thing but i think people make a lot of presumptions about his ability to cope with injury and about his character simply because of how he carried himself which is really quite unreasonable yeah it's an odd uh, uh, it's an odd one isn't it when you talk about someone from the kind of more middle classes being picked on for where who they are and where they're from there's not too many mm. areas of society where that is the case it's usually people from a more working class background but I, mean, I think would I be right in saying or, or I may have did Simon Cooper talk about this in 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 sort of socconomics and and maybe an article yeah. of his I read or something about yeah. in England the, the middle classes are often sort of discriminated in football. Which I, it's, it's such an odd thing to talk about the middle class being discriminated in there, but but clearly this is this has happened to someone like Gorkuf. There may be well other reasons. I mean, what the trouble is when you get into this kind of chat, you're talking about personality types and stuff that are very hard to quantify and actually if you weren't privy or you didn't witness situations over a prolonged period of time, you can't really give that much of a kind of strong opinion. But ultimately, yeah. at the end of the day, Andy, I, I do feel a little bit for him. And, and, and I think it's a great shame that that he is still a young man and and he's not playing football, which that that, that is the shame here because he's such a wonderful, uh, talented player and, and got such grace and so on. But then... You know, you can spin it back around and say, well, actually, if he is unhappy there, then maybe he probably should go and try his hand at whether it be tennis at some sort of you know lower level or something, probably given his age or or somewhere else. But we'll always have those seasons at Bordeaux and those flashes at Lyon. Exactly, and you know, we'll all be sorry when he comes back and wins it, wins a Grand Slam, right? <laughs> well, it won't be through doubles. It won't be with his doubles partner, Paolo Maldini, will it, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! I'd love to see him at Wimbledon in future years. Do you think he's, he's too old for the? He can't pick up another sport, surely. That late in the day and suddenly get cracking. Do you he, think he's, he's a talented boy? Never rule anything out. I say Diego Forlan, Andy. I think um, he could have been a tennis player. And, oh yeah. Or, or, a, or a, well, obviously he was a footballer for crying out loud. Um, and I think he chose football because his sister was in a car accident. And and was very sort of badly injured, and 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 therefore, you know, after that had, um, you know, had sort of physical impairment, if you like, and so uh, he thought, well, if I play football, I'll probably earn more money from doing that, and therefore, I can I can help out. So that's uh, yeah. So so Fallen, another another uh, one of these talented people who could have been a professional at one sport or another. Which I mean, it makes me sick, quite frankly. I wouldn't have. <laughs> I would have been happy being a semi-decent amateur at one sport, let alone having the option of being a professional at two. <laughs> Some people have all the luck, don't they? Uh, and Johan Gorkuf could be one of them. Let's hope uh, we see him at a Grand Slam uh, soon. We, see, we hope we see him at a Grand Slam soon enough after this pandemic. But yeah, seeing Gorkuf in the all-whites at Wimbledon would be delicious, to say the least. There we are, Andy. We've reached the end of the mailbag this week. Thank you uh, very much uh, for, for getting involved. Um, Tyler, we will answer your question probably next week um, because Hamburg, they're in, they're in action this weekend and we're recording beforehand. So we might well come back to that. Uh, but do get your questions in on, uh, the, uh, on, on, on the Discord app, of course, uh, and, uh, or, or email it, tweet us. You know the carrier pigeon, it's all there. It's all at your fingertips, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you, Andy Brassel. Thank you. Not at all. The pleasure's all mine. See you next week, everybody.
Ah oui, mais sur le deuxième ballon, ils sont là, avec Chalmé, avec Gourcuff Oh, oh deux fois Was a Stakhana production. Mm. Ah, right then. <laughs>